Good morning. How are you today? Happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers. We are so glad you are here and we honor you. And we just pray that today for you would be a, a day of encouragement, of just joy and remembering just sort of the blessings God has given you. Uh, I've heard many mothers just say, I'm looking forward to coming this weekend to church to celebrate Mother's Day. And then there's the flip side. I've heard a few mothers who said, I don't think I'm coming to church this weekend because it's a weekend full of some painful memories. So wherever you are in that journey, some of you are here and, and you do, you dread this a little bit because there's pain, there's loss, there's, there's some hurt. And I pray for you as well. I pray that this morning that God would comfort you. And that God would let you know that even in this life when there's trouble and when, when things hurt us, people leave us, that he is a God who never leaves us and never forsakes us. I, I pray even larger than just for you mothers, for all the women in this place today. I pray that you uh, would just know that God has gifted you, made you precious, made you perfect just as you are. God has created you. There's nothing wrong with you. He didn't forget a part, miss something, leave out, withhold from you. You are unique and precious just as you are in his sight. And I just wanted to do something real quick before we go any further. Could we just pray for the ladies in the house real quick? Let's pray. God, I do thank you for days like today where we can remember and, and for the mothers in this place that even in the midst of pain sometimes Today's just a day of celebration, a day of joy and, and an encouraging day. And for, for some of them, their sons are thick-headed and they finally on Mother's Day show appreciation. Uh, and we just say thank you to our mothers. God, thank you for our mothers. And we pray that they would be encouraged. We pray that today they would be honored and they would receive that, God. We pray for those who a day like today... It has painful memories attached to it, maybe because of infertility or because of loss or because of just a rough past. God, would you bring comfort? God, would you meet these ladies right where they are and comfort them, bring peace that passes all understanding? God, would you just today show them how much you love them, just as they are? God, we pray also today, speak to us. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, enlighten our understanding, give us wisdom, help the words of Scripture to come alive and to make us alive. And it's in the power and the resurrection life of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. So we're starting a brand new series today called Generous. And, there, and there's this idea behind the next three weeks as we talk about this idea. And, and the idea is, if you were to flip back into your Bibles, Genesis uh, 1, 2, we get the story of creation. We get this story of God who is making everything that there is. And, and we've talked about this recently, but God gets to this point where he creates man and woman. He creates male and female. And then it says, in the image of God, he created them. Now, that's a, that's a whole sermon series for another day, what it means to be created in the image of God. But one of the things that it does mean that as we are created in the image of God, we are created as givers because our God is a giver. We, we know that our God is a giver. He gave life to everything that there is. He took out of nothing and made everything that there is. We know that the pinnacle of God's generosity was in Jesus 
Most of you know this verse. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. He gave. He's a giver by nature. And here's the thing that, that some of us have forgotten. We're givers by nature. Now you may not think that about yourself. You may not recognize that about you. You may not look at your friends and say, oh yeah, the friends I'm around, they're givers by nature because our culture does everything to rob us of that generosity. But we've been created and we are fully alive only when we discover the secret of generosity. Now, now think about your children. If you have small kids like, like I do, it, it may be evident right now, but there are certain times in our children's lives where they're not so generous, right? It's the mine phase. Mine. Mine. And it's, it's protective. It's, it's, it's hoarding. It's trying to keep everything. But, but there's also these glimpses that I, I think probably all of us with young children get occasionally. Where there's a need or our, our kids hear about something that's going on or they, they hear about children in a, another part of the world who need to be supported or they hear about people here in our own community who are hungry and our children are generous. So, so one of those times happened when, when one of our kids heard about one of these local needs and they were like, I want to give some money to meet that need. And I'm like, okay, you know, you got a lot of money. How much money do you want to give? All of it. And you may say on one level, well, it's because kids don't understand the value of a dollar. Well, that may be part of it. But I think the greater part of it is kids understand there's something that resonates with inside of them when they're generous and abundantly generous. And they love it. And they don't even hesitate sometimes to say, here, take it all if it makes a difference in someone's life. Because we've been created to be generous. Now, you live in a society, I live in a society that wars against this. All you have to do is go home in an hour and turn on the TV. Don't watch the show, don't watch the game, instead, watch the commercials. And they will do everything in their power to squelch generosity, everything in their power to say, You need this. If you get this car, if you get this new product, if you get this new lotion, whoa. If you get this pill, it'll change your life. Everything is fighting against that idea of generosity. And it's not saying you need to meet other needs. You need to take care of others. It's saying you need to take care of you. But God says, no, 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 no. It's something about you've been created in my image that being generous makes a difference. We see that often at the very beginning of life. But then we also see it often at the very end of life. I doubt any of us have ever been with someone in their last days at their deathbed and heard them say something like, I wish I would have done more for me. They don't say that kind of thing, do they? I don't, I don't think anybody says, I just wish I would have spent more time at work and less time with my family. Nobody says that kind of thing. I only wish on my deathbed I would have had a bigger house, a newer car, then life would have been great. Nobody talks like that, do they? Because in the first moments and in the final moments of life, there's clarity. Why not right now, today, allow God to bring a little bit of clarity to our lives, a little sifting to our lives, a little evaluation to say, am I living my life? Am I fully alive as God would have me to be? Mothers, I think you are probably the greatest example of what it means to be generous 
with your life. Two weeks ago, my wife and middle daughter were gone for three days, and so I had the other two, well, for four days. I didn't miss a day. Um, I had the other two for four days. I had to use a lifeline. I had to call in for help. At least on two different occasions, I couldn't handle it alone. And you mothers, in time and in energy and, in, and in, in money, you're some of the most generous people in the whole entire world because children come with a price, don't they? But I think you would all say probably today, most of us would say actually, our children are worth it. Our children are worth it. So what does generous mean or look like is what we're going to talk about today. What does it mean to be generous at work? What does it mean to be generous in our attitude? What does it mean to be generous in dealing with people, extending grace, giving the benefit of the doubt? What does it mean to be generous in forgiveness, generous in patience, generous in humility by, by willingly serving other people? Imagine with me their two friends. And these two friends are out on a walk together. We soon discover that these two friends are a most unlikely pair. One of the friends is just a normal, average, everyday person. The other is a king. However, not just any king. A great king. A noble king. And this friend isn't just any friend. This is a friend of the king. And the king is the wisest, the most noble, a king who, although has all the power in the world, doesn't use that power for himself, but actually for others. And this is a humble king who lowers himself and, and serves the people of his kingdom. When this king was hungry and there was little food because he had humbled himself, he didn't take the food for himself, but he passed it on to others around him who were needy. When this king would get sick, he was the kind of guy who didn't take the medicine for himself because he was surrounded by sick people. He gave it to them. And this king had the invitations to be at the, the greatest banquets, the best parties in town, to be with the who's who of the village. Yet this king decided, no, I want to be with my friends. I want to spend time with those who I love. So in time, this king has a box. And he hands his box to his friend. And he says, would you keep watch over this box for me? And so as they go around town, they would run across someone who has a need. And the king would look to his friend and say, could you hand me the box? And so the friend would hand him the box. He would open it up. The king would reach inside the box and he would pull out exactly what was needed to meet the need of the person he was with. And the friend was amazed and received the box back and thought, oh, better keep this close to me. And time after time, the friend saw the king do this. And day after day, the king showed himself helpful and gracious to those in need. Sometime later, the king looked to his friend and he said, could you please hand me the box? And the friend was tired. He was weary. He was a little bit discouraged. This box? This old thing? What about those boxes? Use those. Why do you keep using my box? This is my box. He thought it. He would never say it to the king, but he thought it. Begrudgingly and reluctantly, he handed the king his box, and once again the king met a great need. But before long, the friend began to think, why are you wasting this box? 
I've got a better plan. I've got a better idea. I know, I know how to use this better. So, not on purpose, not out of any wicked intent, the friend slowly began to make plans in his mind, his own plans, of how he would use the box, of what he would do. And he, and he thought, the king's good, the king's good, but he's also a little naive. The king's kind, but, but sometimes he's kind like a doormat. He just lies there and he lets people walk over him. He needs to stand up for himself. Somebody needs to do something. The king probably, he probably has good intentions, but the friend finally came to the conclusion, although he had good intentions, he's wrong. He's wrong. The king didn't see the bigger picture. The king needed to be stopped. So one thing led to another and the friend's fingers grew tighter with every day around his box. Around his box. Finally, the friend could take it no longer and he couldn't take the king's wastefulness anymore. The king's giving it all the way so the friend came up with his own plan. And before he knew it, he was conspiring against the king. See, when we think about greed, sometimes we think it's a bad habit, it's a bad thing. When we think about, I'm sort of being a consumer and life's about me, we think, I probably need to stop doing that. And I just want to say, it's worse than that. We're not just robbing ourselves, we're robbing others. We're not just missing out on a little, we're missing out on life as God has it. And in some way, this story is the story of Judas. One of those who is closest to Jesus. One of those who Jesus entrusts with most everything. The money box, the money bag. That's Judas's to carry. And at first, he's carrying it as an associate of Jesus. And he's doing whatever Jesus asks. But then at some point, Judas, the traitor, the betrayer, switches. He no longer is interested whatsoever in what Jesus is about. He has his own plan. He thinks he knows better. And there's this beautiful story in Scripture, and if you'll turn with me to Matthew 26, that is sort of the anti-Judas story of Scripture. There's a story about a woman and her box. And just to set Matthew 26 up for you just a little bit so you know before we read the story what's going on. It, it's, it's an interesting thing because Matthew 26 has this story. We believe that the exact same story is also in Mark 14 and in John 12. And if it is the same story, here's what's going on. First of all, they're in Bethany. Bethany is this place just a short distance away from Jerusalem. Jesus is on his way to the cross. He's on his way to Jerusalem where he will be betrayed, where he will be arrested, where he will be condemned to die on a cross. He's just short distance away from there. So Bethany for Jesus is a place of opposition. It's a place of misunderstanding. It's a place of impending suffering. And Jesus knows that. He's headed that way and yet he still goes. We're told that the chief priests, the scribes, and even Judas himself are plotting against Jesus, but they're also plotting to kill Jesus. He's, it's, we're going to read the story, and it's found in the home of Simon the leper. What a nickname, right? 
What's your nickname? The leper. I mean, that's not, I don't know, that's just not an encouraging nickname. Now, now, no one would ever be in the home of someone who had leprosy active. It's too dangerous. And so we don't know exactly what the nickname means, where it came from. Maybe Simon the leper used to be a leper. And he was one of those that touched, was touched by Jesus. And his life changed forever. We don't know. But he's in the home. So just get the picture. He's in the home at the kitchen table. There's a dinner party going on. And they're just having a good time. And you're going to see that a woman comes, and, and this woman, if we take John 12 to be the same story, is Mary. Mary is the sister of Martha and Lazarus, and we'll plug in exactly who she is in a little bit deeper level in just a moment. So Matthew chapter 26, begin with me in verse 6. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar, or that word can mean box, an alabaster box. A very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. Now, if you've never heard this story, your first thought is probably, that's strange. Like, Why would you put perfume on his head? Well, this alabaster box, this alabaster jar... In that society, it's an incredibly valuable possession. And it's probably um, identified as nard, this aromatic oil. It was from a root plant that was native to India. Some scholars say that this box, this perfume that she had, was probably equivalent to about a year's wage. She's carrying something incredibly valuable. We're also told by scholars that it's most likely an heirloom of a family, probably passed down from a mother to her daughter. So not only is it costly, but it's also sentimental. It's priceless on so many levels. And so she comes to Jesus and she pours it over his head and we have to say, what are you doing? Well, the disciples thought the same way, so we're right in good company. Verse 8. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money be given to the poor. Now we talk about the disciples a lot around here. Do you really think they cared about the poor at that time? No, they had their own plan for the money. They had their own idea of what should be going on. Why this waste, they asked. In verse 10, aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. It's beautiful. It's an act of worship. It's an act of adoration. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. So we know that as Jesus goes to Jerusalem and as Jesus is um, betrayed and arrested and crucified and buried in a tomb, we know he does not get a proper burial. We know that they miss out on that whole dynamic of preparing the body because there's a rush and they're trying to just get him in the grave and seal the tomb and all of that. And so he, this is even a prophetic kind of act, but it's one of those that's a worshipful thing. It's a fulfillment of prophecies to anoint Jesus for burial. For where he's going, she gets to participate in God's work. So when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me, 
participate in my death. Verse 13, listen to this. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This, that word gospel right there. Wherever this gospel is preached, it's not some Christian kind of word. It's simply a, a word of that society that meant good news. Wherever this good news, the good news about Jesus, the good news about Jesus Christ dying in our place, wherever that good news is taught, this story will also be told, and I think this is interesting, in memory of her. She's leaving a legacy. She's leaving a legacy of generosity. She's leaving a, a legacy of, of living for what really matters. Of being generous to God. To be a part of the work of God on this earth. She, she leaves us a legacy that we can follow and a few ideas that I think we can take away from this story to say, how can I be more generous in life? First, it's this idea to realize that the root of generosity is gratitude. The root of generosity is gratitude. So let, let's just set up who this Mary is on a little deeper level. So Luke chapter 10 has an encounter with this same lady, Mary. And, and we're assuming that this is the Mary of this story. Luke chapter 10 is this interesting story. They're, they're again in a home, in a living room environment. And Mary has a sister, I said, named Martha. And Martha is in the kitchen, and she is like baking the fried chicken. She is uh, whipping up some, some mashed potatoes. She's, she's creating the gravy, and the room is just filled with this smell. And she's working, and she comes out with like flour all over her face. And she's like, where's Mary? Where's my help? And she sees Mary, and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And she's like, what is she doing with Jesus? We've got a meal to prepare. Jesus, will you tell Mary to come help me in the kitchen? Remember what Jesus said? Martha. And then he said it again in case she missed it. Martha. And he said, you are distracted with a lot of serving. You're distracted by doing stuff. And he says, but Mary has chosen that which is best. Mary has chosen the better thing to just be with me, to spend time with me. This is an opportune moment, Martha. Mary's chosen to be with me. You're just busy. Nobody's asked you to do that. You made a choice. That's, that's who this Mary is. Fast forward the same story here of our alabaster boxes in John 12, but guess what happens in John 11 just before this? Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus are living in this town. Lazarus gets sick. They send word to Jesus. Jesus, Lazarus, you're your friend, like they're good buddies. He's sick and he's about to die. Just in case you wanted to know, we know you like heal people and that kind of stuff. So Jesus, he's sick. Anything you could do? And so this, the scripture says that Jesus hears this, but he doesn't immediately go. He has some other things to do. And as Jesus is doing other things, Lazarus dies. So a couple of days later, Jesus finally gets to town and Martha meets Jesus. And she's like, where were you? What did you do? 
She's a little frustrated, a little upset. And as Jesus enters into town, there's this powerful verse. I love this verse. It's John eleven thirty five. 35. As he enters into the town where Lazarus is buried and dead, it says, Jesus wept. So if you want to leave church today saying, I memorized scripture at church, that's it for you. John eleven thirty five. 35, write it down. Jesus wept. If you want to use a, a more modern translation, you can say this, Jesus cried. Why did he cry? He loved this man as a brother. He loved him as his own. And so Mary approaches Jesus as Jesus is crying and as Jesus is, is upset at this loss and she doesn't rebuke him and she doesn't try to say, why didn't you do something? She simply says this, and it's not an accusation, it's a declaration of faith. Jesus, if you would have been there, my brother wouldn't have died. She's not accusing, she's not pointing a finger, she's not saying, how did you do this? She simply says, Jesus, if you would have been there, my brother would still be here with us. And so Jesus asked her a question, and then Jesus told her, Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. You need to go read this story. It's really good. And then Jesus goes to the tomb. And do you remember those words? Jesus goes to the tomb where this dude has been buried for way too many days. He should be stinky. And so they're all like, we don't know what's going to go on here. We don't know what's going to happen. Jesus walks up to the tomb and very simply he just says these words, Lazarus, come out. And he comes out. He had been dead for days, and he comes out. And so now when we get to John chapter 12, and we get the story of Mary at dinner breaking an alabaster box of her most expensive and most sentimental possession in all of the world, does it make a little bit more sense that she could be extravagant? After what Jesus has done for her, it makes a little more sense that maybe she is over the top in her gratitude because what Jesus has done for her. No price is too great. I was in college and I was working in this factory and I mean it was just, whoo, it was beautiful work. Beautiful work. Like a psychology student by day, a factory worker by night. It was wonderful. And I met this man in the factory and he was brash, and he was tough, and he was big, and I was scared. But he started to tell me, uh, we would talk about Christ, and talk about church, and talk about just things that God has done in our life. And one time he was just, he was pumped up, and he was like, you don't have a clue how grateful I am. You don't have a clue how thankful I am, because if you would have ever been where I had been, you would not be able to contain the joy. I was in prison. I was an addict. And Christ delivered me from all of that. And he said, if you've been through what I've been through, you couldn't help but to be thankful. And I saw this joy on this guy's face. And I, and I saw that, that hope and that life and that gratitude to say, I used to be there. But Jesus has brought me here. And it challenged me to say, am I really grateful? Am I really thankful for what he's done for me? And, and even as a, a pretty young guy and as a guy who hadn't had much life experience, it caused me to say, am I really grateful for what Christ has done in my life? No, he didn't bring me out of jail. And no, he didn't bring me out of addiction. But maybe he kept me from all those things. But even greater than that, I was a sinner 
bound for hell and he forgave me and he gave me life and he took away sin and guilt and shame. And here's the deal. If Jesus didn't do one more thing for me or for you ever, he's already done more than enough. He couldn't do anything greater than dying on a cross for our sins. And so here's the thing. The the root of generosity is gratitude. We, more than any people in the whole entire world, should be so full of gratitude, so full of thankfulness if we just remember who Jesus is, what he has done, that he loves us. And you may be here today and and, and not understand all this because it's a little bit new to you. Maybe you haven't received his love, but, but let me just tell you this. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus loves you just as you are. Right? Yeah, just as you are. He loves you and you say, yeah, but you don't know me. You don't know what I've been through. It doesn't matter. His love is greater still. So generosity is this, this, or gratitude is this root of generosity that, that causes us to remember, causes us to understand who he is, what he has done, and then it takes us to this next thing. We are generous towards whatever we trust is good. Here, here's what I mean, that whole idea of, as Jesus tells the ones listening, Whenever this gospel is preached, the story of this lady will be told as well. This gospel, this good news, she trusted this was good news for her. And it made all the difference in the world. She experienced the good news personally, and it made all the difference in the world. Whatever is good for you, however you define good, you're generous towards You fall madly in love. Did anybody, you know, like your spouse is here, so you need to raise your hand. It was more than like 10 years ago when you fell madly in love. Anybody? All right. You need to think back. You need to remember. You need to go back there and remember. Now, I know you've forgotten, so let me remind you a little bit. Remember when you first fell in love and you like had plans the next week, but you fell in love. Those plans didn't matter anymore. You're like, so what if I blow the buddies off? So what if I cancel that appointment? I get to be with the one I love. Ooey gooey gaga, like I don't care. All the plans, you're like, I don't care. I'll willingly sacrifice all of that. I'm generous to her. I'm generous to him because I love them. They're good for me. Some of you play play golf. And you pay ridiculous amounts of money for golf clubs. And golf balls because you still lose a lot of them. But see, I'm not not banging that. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm not bashing it. I'm saying, hey... You love it. That's good for you. You don't have any problem being generous to something that you say, this is good. This is good news. It's good for me. It helps me relax. Whatever that is. I'm not, I'm not bashing it. I'm just saying this. Whatever you say is good or, or you know is good for you, you will be generous towards. Judas Looked at Jesus as a chance to get ahead. Not as good news. Judas looked to Jesus and maybe he was like a good luck charm. I'll just have a little bit of Jesus in life. Maybe that'll help me in business or help me with friends or help me somehow. Maybe it's a checklist. Jesus, check, got that this week. To Judas, Jesus was not good news. 
that made all the difference. But to Mary, Jesus was the greatest news. Worthy of any amount of sacrifice. Jesus was good news because of what he had done for her. She had heard about it. She had seen it with her eyes. And she had experienced it in her life. He was the greatest news. With the staff the other week, I did this little exercise. I made it up and I called it greater than. And I had a blank greater than sign blank. Let's talk about what's greater than. In our lives. You know what I mean? Like things like carne asada is always greater than taco salad. <laughs> How does salad even go with the word taco? That does not make sense. <laughs> at all. I, I, I never get this one right. Is it Dodgers are greater than angels? <laughs> or angels are greater than Dodgers? I always have problem. I, I'm, I've just been here a year trying to figure that one out still. For, for Mary, the answer was simple. Jesus is greater than, and there was nothing you could feel in that next blank that made any difference. Let's, let's think about how great that declaration for her was. This was expensive alabaster box that she had. Jesus was greater than possessions. This represented family, heirloom, inheritance. Jesus is greater than my family, my past, my tradition, my inheritance. Jesus is greater than all of it. There was nothing that you could fill in the blank that she would say that's greater than. See, Jesus was good news, the best news for her. And it changed the way that she lived all the time. Same thing is true for us. We are generous to whatever we say is good. And I would just want to caution you and challenge you to a label and attach that this is good to something that may compete for Christ's attention in your life. He's created us to be generous, to live that life, to make a difference in this world, to understand that, that the purpose of life, meaning in life, does not come from getting comes from giving. And then lastly, just, just think about the story and this idea. Generosity is our story to others about Jesus. We are told that what this woman has done will be told throughout the world. What this woman has done will be told throughout the world every time this good news is shared. Now, now, I'm a pastor, I'm a speaker, a preacher. I would love for Jesus to say to me, what this man has said will be known throughout the world. But Jesus never said that to any preacher, to any speaker, to any person standing before a pulpit. But he did say it to a lady and a group of people around a kitchen table. Not that what she said, but that what she has done will be told throughout the world. That her story is being written and her story is being retold and her story is a, a legacy and an impact on history of what she has done. And guess what? You have a story and your life is telling a story. And, and your story may be demonstrated 
around a kitchen table or it may be lived out in a classroom or it may be on display in your office but you're writing a story by your words, by your attitudes, by your actions you're writing a story and that story is either for Jesus Christ or it conspires against the work of Jesus Christ. And our story of generosity is this one of saying we're willing to put others ahead of ourselves. We're willing to serve others instead of just getting for me. We're willing to allow our lives to be a blessing to others, not just look to be blessed ourselves. See the difference? It makes all the difference in the world. I read a, a quote this week that mission is as wide as creation. We are to be good news in our lives, in words and deeds. The primary witness or story of Christ has to be given in ordinary times by ordinary men and ordinary women. Tomorrow, it may be an ordinary day and you may be ordinary, but your story for Christ is being written at that point. This week I, I begin to hear, I'm, I'm serious, in the last six days, some of these stories of, of generosity. And, and they're just so amazing and challenging to me. There's, I was at a conference in Oregon and just 12 of us younger pastors and one of them was sharing because I'm taking a trip this summer to Hawaii. Yeah, we're, like, we're like counting down the days. When is that coming up? And one of the pastors that we were talking with is a very well-known pastor from Hawaii and this guy said, yeah, my wife and I, we, have, we were saving up for a trip to Hawaii. And we had almost saved up that last penny. We were ready to book the trip. And then my wife's sister couldn't afford her next semester of school. And sort of that education was being threatened. And so we gave every dime of our Hawaii trip so she could continue in school. And I thought, that's what it means to be generous. I was talking with some of our staff this week and... They were telling me about some of you who every single summer, there's multiple people from Hillside who take vacation from work so that they can go on our high school summer trip, stay here and work at Summer Blast, volunteer at our sports camp. That's what it means to be generous, to give precious vacation days, to say, I want to make a difference in the lives of those young people. It's what it means to be generous. As we've heard stories of how some of you have sacrificially given for our Haiti food packing event or, or you've sacrificially given to our high school uh, team so that they could go on that missions trip. It's what it means to live generous. Not about what I can get out of this, but what I can give, how I can be a blessing. And maybe your question is, needs to be today something like, what is in my box? What do I have to offer? offer well let's just think about this how can you be generous in your life in those ordinary times with just plain old ordinary time how can you be generous with your time how can you be generous with your talent you're gifted you've got some skills that are unlike anyone else what does it mean to use those gifts those talents those abilities or even just your willingness to learn those kind of things. Not just for your own benefit, but to be a blessing to others. How can you be gener generous with your treasure, with the, the finances that God entrusts you with? How can you be generous with your words? 
and say, I want to use my words to uplift, to speak life into people, not just to hurt. But at the end of the day, I think it does really go to what have you defined as good for you? What are you holding on that's a treasure? And what we see in Scripture time and time again, that you can look to some things for treasure. You can look for things that may bring temporary meaning or satisfaction, but the only true treasure that will last forever and will never disappoint is knowing how much God loves you and how much Jesus was willing to suffer and how great his love and his grace is for us. That's what remains forever. That's what always lasts. That's what brings us a generous heart, gratitude, to be fully alive, the people of God, as he wants us to be. And to live the life, to be on mission, to experience him in our lives day by day. Can we pray real quick? God, we thank you for the truth of Scripture. We thank you for examples like this woman and her alabaster box. She realized how great you are. She realized that even in the midst of her darkest days, you're there and you show up and you move and you have power. And her life was touched by you, forever changed. God, would you remind us of those truths? Would you remind us of how great your love is for us? We may not feel worthy of your love this morning. Would you remind us it's not about how worthy we are. You've chosen to love us anyway. And Lord, as we sort of think about our box, our life, our time, our talents, our treasure, our words, our attitudes, all of that, God, I just pray that we would be willing this morning to offer ourselves to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.